Hello. Uh, welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship. We are a multi-ethnic church right here in the heart of St. Paul, Minnesota, and God has called us to radiate his life and his joy uh, to the whole world as a, as a house of prayer for all the nations. And I'm so glad that you joined us this morning. My name is Andrew Gross. I am the associate pastor here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. And uh, I want to begin by congratulating all the moms. Uh, there's so much you do for us and ways you love us, and uh, we're so grateful for you. And, and that holds true if you're a biological mom or a spiritual mom. Uh, we are just very deeply grateful for you, and I hope you enjoy your special day. Well, uh, this morning, I am going to share on a passage that has actually been troubling me a lot lately. The passage itself hasn't been troubling me, but what's been troubling me is how I keep seeing this scripture used during this pandemic. And uh, it's a great passage. There's nothing wrong with the passage, but, uh, but it worries me. So I'd like you to come with me to turn with me to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Uh, let's, let's read that together. This is God speaking to King Solomon and to all the Israelites. And God says this, If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So it's a, it's a great passage, but what worries me is, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about this passage. It's, I see it floating around the internet. I hear sermons and messages about it, and, and I'm glad it's getting all this attention. It's a, it's a great passage. But what worries me is that I think I'm starting to see people use it like it's a magic incantation. Like if we somehow use the words of this passage, then somehow, like magic, we are going to be able to regain control over our situation. Somehow we'll be able to get rid of the pandemic, uh, the coronavirus just with a wave of our hands, and all of life is going to go back to normal. That's an understandable feeling. Uh, we're, we've never been in this kind of situation before where everything is out of our control. But I want to remind us, if you've been uh, subscribing to this uh, channel and been watching these messages, our senior pastor, Steve Rasmussen, uh, has brought up the question about this idea of control. And he's challenged us to, you know, all, all of us want our control back. We want control back over our family life, over our income, over our provision, over our health. Uh, we don't want to feel out of control. But Pastor Jim reminded us that maybe this sense of control that we thought we lost because of the pandemic, maybe that's actually just an illusion of control. And so maybe God's intention for us 
isn't to just regain control, go back to normalcy. I keep hearing people talk about normalcy. Maybe that's not actually God's goal for us. Maybe there's a purpose for him ripping away this illusion of control. Maybe there's actually mercy in how he is taking away this illusion of control. So uh, the, 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 the reason I, I, uh, I say I'm, I'm, I'm worried is because of how people are using this is because if we use this passage like a magic incantation just to make coronavirus go away, then what I'm worried about is that that idea comes from ignoring the central word in this whole passage, the word that's probably the most important in this passage. And it's just this one little word, and it's the word humble. The word humble. See, I I think what we're doing is we are ignoring this one little word, and we're misinterpreting it. So, this message today that I'm sharing with you is, is about the idea of humility. What is it? Where, where does it come from? Uh, what, what does it mean? How do we make sure that we don't miss this central idea of humility in this battle with the pandemic? Pastor Steve has uh, said many times now in these messages that this pandemic is actually an opportunity, and one of the things it's an opportunity to do is to humble ourselves. So what does it mean to humble ourselves? So I'm going to start out by talking about the benefits of humility. What, what, are, what are the benefits of, of humility? Uh, now, you might say, you know, if, 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 if we were really humble, we wouldn't need to learn the benefits. We would want to be humble anyway. But, you know, we're human. We all like to hear what the benefits are first. So let's, let's, let's talk about what those benefits are of humility. So first of all, scripture says that God teaches the humble his ways. The same passage, Psalm 25 verse 9, says that God leads the humble in justice. Right now, our church is in the middle of a year of trying to learn what does justice actually mean. It's a big buzzword out there. So what does justice mean? Well, Scripture says we will learn the ways of justice when we're humble. It says God will teach us his ways when we're humble. Uh, Probably one of the most famous passages on humility says that we will inherit, God will give us the land uh, when we are humble. Uh, Jesus quotes that in Matthew 6, verse 5. You may have heard the version, uh, the meek will inherit the land. Uh, It comes from Psalm 37. Another important benefit is scripture says that God hears the humble. I don't know about you, but I want my prayers to be heard, especially right now, especially when our provision is on the line, especially when our health is on the line, like it is right now in the middle of the pandemic. I want my prayers heard. Scripture says that God hears the humble. The same passage, Psalm 10 verse 17 says that God strengthens the humble. Now, during this pandemic, I've been exhausted on every level imaginable. I've been exhausted emotionally. I've been exhausted relationally, mentally. 
I've been exhausted physically and I've been exhausted spiritually. But there's this great news that God strengthens the humble. Scripture also says that God saves the humble. I want to be saved. I want to be saved in the moment-to-moment daily uh, confrontation with the pandemic. I want to be saved uh, from uh, scary risks. I want to be saved from difficulties. And of course, I want to be saved in the the big picture, uh, the ultimate salvation Uh, being rescued from my own sin and from the consequences of sin, eternal damnation. Well, Scripture says that God saves the humble. Another benefit of humility is, it says, God gives grace to the humble. It's a passage from Psalm 138 that both the Apostle James and the Apostle Peter quote, that God gives grace to the humble and opposes the proud. Uh, Proverbs 11 verse 2 says that God gives wisdom to the humble. Now, one of the things I've, I've learned, all the people who are trying to lead anything, whether it's a, a company or uh, whether it's a family or whether it is uh, a church, whatever it is, um, everybody has said we're in need of wisdom. We need wisdom uh, in order to navigate this crazy pandemic. Well, Scripture says God gives wisdom to the humble. Here's one of my favorites. The scripture says that God dwells closely with the lowly. Uh, This scripture from Isaiah 57 says, God lives in a high and exalted place, but he also lives or dwells with the lowly. Scripture says that God sees the humble. What a comfort to know God actually sees me and sees what I'm going through, well, he sees the humble. And uh, probably uh, most ironically and strangely, Scripture says that God exalts, honors, and raises up the humble. Uh, It's it's ironic, I say, because uh, by definition, the word humble is associated with the word of, of lowliness and being ashamed and being troubled and being down. And yet scripture says that instead of leaving humble people down, God actually exalts them, honors them, and raises them up. Now, I'm going to ask you in a minute to pause the video and uh, either with someone you're with or uh, just by yourself think about, I'd like you to ask yourself the question of that list of benefits of humility, what is the one you most need right now in this pandemic. So go ahead and pause the video. So benefits of humility, there's a lot of them, and I'm, I'm just naming a few. Uh, you could find a lot more actually in scripture. But I need to shift from just the benefits of humility and ask the question, what are the marks of humility? Uh, If if we think we're humble, it'd be good to have some kind of standard to know whether or not we're actually humble. Uh, It's, it's, uh, I'm I'm sure you've met people where uh, proud and arrogant people, and they're usually the very last people to know that they're not humble. (laughs) It's, uh, so how do I know I'm being humble? How do you know that you're being humble? Well, Scripture has uh, quite a lot to say on this matter. And so uh, to get at this, what I did was what's called a word study. And if you've never done a word study, you're going to want to do it at some point. But 
you just look up every instance in scripture that a word appears, and then you look at the context around that word, and, and you look at what are the ideas and concepts associated with that word. It used to be kind of hard. Uh, you know, I used to have to have 10 different books out to try to do a complete word study. Uh, now there's some apps uh, that are, you can just download your phone that made it, may have made it really easy for us. So uh, this one I was able to, uh, there's, a, there's a great app, uh, Bible Gateway. Uh, there's, there's more scholarly ones, but this one's probably uh, the best for just easy access. So I, I just did a, a word study using that and came up with some Amazing stuff. So, so how do I know? What are, what are the marks of humility? Well, let's go back to that first passage that we looked at, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. And uh, let's just look at that, where that word humble comes, uh, what's associated with the word humble. Well, we find out that it says that uh, if the people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Uh, and so the first mark of humility that we should tackle is this idea of prayer, seeking the face of God, and turning from wickedness. Uh, this isn't just found here in this one passage. This is found throughout the Bible uh, but prayer is associated with humility. Seeking God is associated with humility. And turning around from wickedness is associated with humility. So in other words, that's one of the first marks of a humble person is that they pray, they seek God, and they turn from wickedness. Uh, another thing you see all throughout scripture, another behavior that's associated with humility is the behavior of fasting. Now, this is not a sermon on fasting. I'm not going to give you a big uh, thing about that, a big message on that. But, and, and there's all kinds of, kinds of fasting, by the way. Fasting doesn't necessarily have to involve food. Uh, but w- whatever kind of fast you do, however long, um, fasting, in fasting what we do is we say, I'm going to give this up that's comforting me, that I'm relying on, that I'm looking to, and instead, in its place, I'm going to seek God, because God is more valuable. And whatever I'm getting from this thing that I'm giving up, I'm going to get it much better, much more fully from God. That's what we do when we, when we fast, of, of, of any kind of fast. And, uh, and it's, a, it's, it's a way that some people, it helps them humble themselves, because when you fast, you feel your dependence. So, Another behavior that scripture associates with fasting is serving. Uh, Humble people serve. Uh, Now, the Apostle Paul, uh, he has several long lists of virtues, and he mentions humility several times. And in one of his lists, his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, associated with humility are some other virtues like gentleness, patience, and tolerance. So humble people are gentle with others, humble people are patient with others, and humble people tolerate others. Another one of Paul's lists uh, in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verse 12, when he mentions humility, he says, he also uses the virtues holiness, compassion, and forgiveness. In other words, humble people are holy, they are 
compassionate towards other and others, and they forgive others. So everything I mentioned so far, this is, these are sort of external marks of humility. These are things that you can observe, behaviors you can see in other people. But scripture also lists a number of internal marks of humility that uh, you might not be able to see in somebody else, but are, they're going on inside of their heart. So I want to take a look at some of those inner marks of uh, humility. Uh, when, when I was doing this word study, I was surprised at what I discovered. That's the great thing about word studies is, is you, you're surprised at some of your discoveries. Well, one of the things I was surprised at is one of, the, one of the most important inner marks of humility is that humble people seek more humility. I was, that's what surprised me. You know, you'd think a humble person would, would, would feel satisfied with how much humility they have. Well, quite the opposite. Humble people seek more humility. They want more of it, which, is, which was curious. Uh, another thing that humble people experience on the inside is humble people feel dependent. Uh, that, that's, I associated that with fasting a moment ago, but uh, it's why we fast, is to feel our dependence. Well, humble people feel their dependence on God a lot, much more often than most of us do. Another internal mark of humility is the attitude of the heart, and that is that uh, humble people have a tenderness of heart. They tremble before God they're fearful before God, and they are contrite in their heart. They have a tender heart, they tremble before God, they're fearful before God, and they are contrite. I, I don't want to do a sermon on fearing God right now, but uh, I, I do want to point out one thing. Uh, when I say fear, I'm not so much talking about the kind of fear one might experience in a horror movie. More what I'm talking about is, again, that idea of dependence, if you know that you are 100% exclusively dependent on one thing, you are going to fear that thing getting taken away from you, aren't you? And uh, if we know that we are 100% dependent on God's favor for our welfare, our body's welfare, our spirit's welfare, we would fear that getting taken away from us. And so, so that's the kind of fear I'm, I'm talking about. And humble people have that sense of, dependent, so much so that they tremble before God and they, they have a, a tender heart that is easily moved by God, easily pricked and, and directed or redirected by God. Now, maybe one of the reasons why humble people have tender, trembling, fearful, contrite hearts is this next discovery I made, which is that humble people assume the status of children, now, when I say the status of children, I'm not talking about how uh, here in our modern culture we treat children. Here in our modern culture, we make a lot, we make a really big deal about children. We exalt them, we praise them. Uh, a parent's worst fear is that their child might have a low self-esteem. Uh, <clears throat> we uh, send tons of money uh, towards our children's uh, education, whether through taxes or, or, or personally, uh, out of our pockets. Uh, we really worry about our children a lot. Well, in the ancient world, the, the uh, audience that Jesus was addressing, children had no status. No status. Nobody made much of children. Uh, you could even be a child of a wealthy person or a famous person or a powerful person. You would have no status. 
And so when Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse four, he said, unless you humble yourself like this little child, you won't enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't referring to uh, becoming like a little child in the sense of, you know, oh, being cute and innocent. And it, Jesus didn't mean any of that. He said, unless you assume the status of this statusless child, you won't enter into the kingdom of God. And so humble people assume the status of a child in the ancient world, which is being statusless. Another interesting mark of humility, and this is what surprised me more than anything I discovered, is humble people can rest. I don't just mean externally rest from their work, but they can rest inwardly. Almost every time in the Old Testament that scripture explains why we should keep the Sabbath and how to keep the Sabbath, it connects that keeping of the Sabbath with the idea of humility. It was an act of humbling oneself to keep the status, excuse me, to keep the Sabbath in ancient Israel. And humble people can rest in God being in control and can internally rest when they are humble. Now, it's possible that the reason they can do that is this next point I want to make, which is that humble people accept God's just government. Humble people accept God's just government. Now, when I say they accept God's just government, I'm not just saying that they will acknowledge, yes, God, I know you're in control. Humble people will actually say, God, I like it that you're in control. God, I'm happy that you're in control. God, I'm, I approve of your government. I approve that you're doing it the right way. There's an internal acceptance and enjoyment of God being in control. And that's very connected to the next and, and final point I want to make about an internal mark of humility. And that is that humble people accept their grassiness. Accept their grassiness. What do I mean by that? Well, there's an image scripture uses a lot uh, probably the most famous verses from Isaiah chapter 40 and uh, starting in um, verse 6, uh, middle of the verse, Isaiah says, all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. Uh, and so here's this image of in the ancient Middle East, where it's very dry and arid, grass might spring up uh, one day, um, but then as soon as the rains leave, or as soon as, as it greets too much sun, then that grass will wither away. And scripture says we're like that. We are like grass. We spring up and then quickly wither. Well, humble people are okay with that. Humble people don't fight that and try to protest that. What's interesting to me is our whole culture is set up to try to prolong uh, what appears to be our, our, our flourishing. We do everything we can to keep looking young and feel looking young. And, and, uh, uh, and, and it's not just our lifespan that we don't accept uh, our grassiness in. It's also just daily life. Uh, 
Uh, We get mad at God that we only got so much accomplished in a day. We get mad at God that we have only so much energy to spend in the day. We get mad at God that the day's only 24 hours and we have to sleep for, uh, we're supposed to sleep for at least eight of them and, and most of us sleep far less than that. So we, we often fight and protest our grassiness, but humble people accept their grassiness. So I got to finish by asking this question. How are we supposed to get humility? Where is it, it going to come from? Well, Scripture says a lot about this, but I'm only going to name three things. First of all, we can ask for it. Uh, I already mentioned this. Uh, I already quoted this from Zephaniah 2, chapter 3, when I said that humble people seek more humility. Uh, and this indicates that we can actually ask God for humility. And in his generosity and his love, God wants to give it to us. A second thing is learning how to surrender to God's will. And this kind of flows from the last two marks I mentioned a moment ago, accepting God's just government and accepting our grassiness. Uh, You know, we are often wrestling with God's will. And yet our ultimate example, Jesus, he had a whole life full of surrendering to God's will. In fact, the, the most famous part of his story that we can all recall is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and in that moment, you know, he, in, in the version uh, written by Mark, Jesus says, God, you, you can take this away. In other words, Jesus realizes God the Father, who's all-powerful, could have found a different way to redeem humanity that didn't involve Jesus's excruciating death. But even though Jesus knows the Father can do that, Jesus says, but not, not my will, but yours. And if we're going to be followers of Christ, we need to get good at doing the same thing. Not just once or twice in our lifetimes, but daily, even hourly for some of us. Say, God, not my will, but yours. That includes approving of his just government. God, I, I don't get it, but you're running the show And it's not just that I know you're in control, I know you're doing it well and for a purpose. And it also includes accepting our grassiness. It's God's will that you only have a certain lifespan. It's God's will that you only have so much energy in the day. It's God's will that there's only 24 hours in a day and you're only going to get so much done in a day. Accepting that grassiness. That's what leads to that rest that humble people can enjoy. Well, these two things... Well, it won't do you any good if you don't get a hold of this third thing that I'm about to tell you. And the third thing is to encounter God's grandeur. About 16, 17 years ago, I took a trip to the Grand Canyon. Uh, I was really excited to go, uh, but nothing had prepared me for seeing the actual Grand Canyon. There isn't a movie or a film or a picture that does justice to the glory of the Grand Canyon. After traveling all day, when we finally came up to the edge of the Grand Canyon, my jaw literally dropped. The breath was taken out 
of my lungs. I was so shocked. I was so stunned at the glory of the Grand Canyon. It was so vast beyond anything I could have imagined, so vast beyond any picture that had been painted for me, that I lost my breath. I was in awe. And that's what happens when we encounter the glory and grandeur of God. We lose ourselves. Now, it's often been said that people don't visit the Grand Canyon to build up their self-esteem. People visit the Grand Canyon to lose themselves. But they walk away from the Grand Canyon more joyful, more happy, more content than if they'd spent all that time and energy trying to build up their self-esteem. And the same holds true with God. We don't go to God just to build up our self-esteem. We are objects of his love and his mercy, and that's a wonderful thing. But when we go to God and to encounter his grandeur, it leaves, it, we lose ourselves, but we walk away from that happier and more content and more joyful than if we'd spent that time trying to build our self-esteem. We're humbled by God's power and his genius. Um, <clears throat> want to just uh, wrap up by talking just very briefly about Job. Uh, now, the book of Job is probably the hardest book in the whole Bible to try to interpret. Uh, so I'm not going to do that right now. It takes too long, too hard. But in chapter 38, after Job has been complaining for a long time, and, and by the way, Job, Job's troubles were not caused by his own sin. Um, uh, that's another sermon. But at the end of the book, Job does repent because he says, God, I, I, I thought I'd heard about you, but now I actually see you. And that's because God shows up at the end and Job has an encounter with the living God. And Job re realizes that God is far more vast, more glorious, more beautiful, more grand, more of a genius, more powerful than Job had ever imagined. And so I just want to briefly read you what, what happens when God shows up in Job chapter 38, verse 4. Here's a little bit of what God says. Where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or what were, on what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the seas behind closed doors when it burst from, forth from the womb? When I made uh, its clouds the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by its edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment the wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know this. And Job was so blown away by the grandeur of God. He says he had to put his hand over his mouth and repent in dust and ashes, not because he had done something wrong, but because his vision of God was too small. 
And so I want to encourage you to achieve humility, to, to make progress in humility. Humble yourself by, by seeking out the grandeur of God. Look, search the scripture. Do a word study on how big and vast and powerful God is and what a genius he is. But even more than the power and genius of God put on display by what he's done, what he's created, is the glory of God when he, he humbled himself and came down to our level, became a human being, died on the cross, not just any death, but died the shameful death of a criminal in our place to save us from our sins and rescue us and reconcile us back to him. So in this season of COVID-19, in this pandemic, in this quarantine, I, I want to invite you to encounter the living God, encounter him in his glory and grandeur and vastness and power and encounter him in his humility and meditate on these things. And that's when you and I will enter into the rest of the humble. Bless you.